So last week, uh, you heard about Jesus' warning to the disciples that they would be persecuted on his behalf. And in the end, Jesus encourages them to continue uh, because it will be worth it. And this got me thinking, uh, what does that look like? What Jesus is, is talking about, uh, the persecution and the suffering. Obvious answers would lie in the remainder of the Gospels, uh, perhaps the Acts of the Apostles. Stories like Peter denying Christ, but then being the one whom Christ established his church. Stories like Paul being driven out of cities, uh, but also persevering and starting countless churches all across the Mediterranean. However, I was still wondering, what, what does this look like for us today? I think the answers are not so readily apparent. So our trials come in the forms of deployments, sicknesses, uh, estrangements, and loneliness. And while stories and epistles are excellent for providing examples, morals, and doctrines to face our life challenges, I wanted to invite you this morning to consider a different way of facing these challenges in the Psalms. See, unlike stories, the Psalms are clever lines that we can speak in a moment of moral struggle or songs that we can sing in celebration of things like doctrine. One theologian went so far as to describe the Psalms as the solution for a complacent church. That which can revolutionize our devotional life, family patterns, fellowship, and witness. By way of continued introduction, I want to say a few words on the Psalms before uh, we read our text today, because I find those are bold statements, and the Psalms can be difficult to understand at times. See, poetry in general can be difficult for all ages, let alone Hebrew poetry. I can't help but bring my youth to the pulpit every time I'm here and share a Christian comedy tweet that I recently saw. It read, David's psalms are like, Your love for me, O God, is everlasting. Please castrate my enemies and throw them into the pit. And while I want to say that's exaggerated, that's actually not the case. In Psalm 69, for example, the psalmist actually goes so far as to petition God to blot his enemies' names out of the book of life. So it begs the question, what, what do psalms like this mean? How can we reconcile these ideas with the rest of Scripture in our lives? Just one more example is how psalms can sometimes come across as uh, self-righteous, almost anti-gospel in a way. So take, for example, Psalm 26. It reads, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. And ask the same question. What, what can we make of this? You know, even if we can debate some kind of theological standing on this, uh, how does this apply to us as well? And I would propose from my study, uh, just like we have to learn about history, about characters and conflict, uh, to better understand the New Testament and gain insights for our own life stories, uh, so too we all have to learn about complaint, petition, psalms of thanksgiving and praise, 
uh, to gain insight on more of our life emotions. Moreover, we cannot read Psalms in isolation from the rest of Scripture. I kind of set up a straw man there in reading those. So what I hope you find uh, in our specific psalm today uh, is the answer to the question we've actually already sung. How long can we trust in the Lord? And the answer for everyone of all ages is forever in Christ. So please turn with me now uh, to Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So right at the beginning, uh, you probably noticed the number of times the psalm reads, How long? This is a fairly common statement in the psalms. Uh, you can find it in, I want to say, nine to ten different psalms. 35, 74, 79. It's, it's very common. And go figure, this is also a common experience, I think, in the Old Testament as well. Think of how Abraham asked God how long it would be until his promised heir. Or the Israelites asked how long they would wander in the desert, or how long they would have to live in exile. I think it's important to reference these stories in association with this psalm, because they reflect our version of asking how long. Our version often, unfortunately, in asking how long is more like Abraham and Sarah. We ask how long, and then we try to figure it out on our own like they did when they couldn't wait for their promised child and tried to have it with a servant girl. Likewise, we ask how long until a sickness may pass or a promotion may come, but then we complain over and over again like the Israelites in the desert. So herein lies our first lesson uh, from this Hebrew poetry. These how longs provide us at all ages with a much more precise and, and pointed things to say and sing in the face of trouble than we might come up with on our own. The author, likely David, uh, did not just write down the first thing that came into his head. No, this, this is an inspired word of God that I no doubt believe came through years of prayer and experience with none other than the help of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if I were to point to anyone, aside from the apostles themselves, to serve as an example of what it looks like to live in what Jesus described in Matthew 10, suffering in his name, I think it would be David. I think his life arguably bears more resemblance to ours than that of the apostles at times, when we consider what it looks like to be hated by leaders, abandoned by friends, or lonely on our own. 
I'd also want to call to your attention the levels of concern in these how longs, if you follow along with each, each one of them. There's intense emotion in how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? So besides the poetic nature, this might be hard for us to relate to due to our uh, incredibly stoic culture. I'll tell you as military man, emotions are almost unacceptable. But that has become more of a flaw than a strength in our culture at this point. As I think of military men and women who are so far removed uh, from history uh, and suffering and depression. And actually, forgive me, but uh, I received a message this morning of someone I imagine this is not much different for those in the medical field. Uh, construction, uh, business, uh, motherhood or retirement, where we're expected to maintain our composure uh, at all times. From a practical standpoint, uh, I find this obsession with stoicism and problem solving uh, robs anyone of the ability to help, especially God if we are in prayer or in singing the Psalms. See, it's not just a high level of emotion and willingness that is shared here either. I find there's a level of anxiety in the second how long. How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? The psalmist feels completely alone. And to be forgotten by God and for God to hide his face is, is actually a terrible thing from the Old Testament perspective. Isaiah 57, 17 reads, Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. Likewise, Micah 3, 4 reads, Then they will cry aloud to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from him at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. Now, there's no evidence in this psalm, Psalm 13, of any sin or need to repent. I think David and writes and sings this uh, truly from the perspective of being a victim. But do you ever feel that you're doing everything right, but God is still not answering or allowing things to go your way? Does it make, make you feel anxious not knowing uh, what you may have done wrong before God. Because in contrast to him forgetting and hiding, we want, to, we want God to remember us. Remember us like he remembered his promise to Abraham in Exodus 2. Reads, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel We also want God's face to shine upon us, in contrast. Like it says in the great benediction from Numbers, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. But that is not quite the case here, for remembering and shining. Nor is it for us sometimes. The psalmist continues in the third, how long, how long 
must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart? As I read this over and over again, I thought of a, a level of mental concern here. The emotional and, and the anxious level of mental concern. Because to take counsel in one's soul uh, means that you are trying to figure it all out on your own. And while this might sound great in our culture of self-made men and women, uh, this is, again is a terrible thing from the Old Testament perspective. See, David was perplexed that God would leave him to his own counsel because he knows how foolish his own counsel is and how much he needs the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. It says in Ezekiel 23, 35, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourselves must bear the consequences of your lewdness before him. That is a picture of what David does not want to, to be left here. So we will be wise as well uh, to realize solitude is a dangerous thing. And I don't mean to guilt anyone here, but encourage in asking, how often do we consider a psalm like this when we are faced with intense arguments, uh, relationship challenges, depression, or other difficulties? We should have a holy fear and be afraid in those moments and cry out to God asking why he is not present. Healthy fear and a good longing uh, can come from applying and reciting the beginning of psalms like this. So then on to the last how long. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? See, when God does not remember us, when he does not make his face shine upon us, he leaves us to our own counsel, he leaves us to sorrow, that is when the enemy rises. That is when injustice occurs and evil prevails. Again, did we do something wrong? Did we leave some sin unconfessed? That's not the point here. As I mentioned, there's no evidence of sin or need for repentance on David's part. Because unfortunately, sometimes bad things happen to good people in God's will. So do we give up? Do we turn our backs on God in the direction that we have just thought about that makes things worse? Of course not. We persevere like Jesus encouraged his disciples. And the way the psalmist us to encourages us to persevere in bringing righteous questions and complaints to a holy God. And the next pair of verses begins, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. It could also be interpreted, Look and answer me. See, for any of us who struggle uh, with this type of questioning or complaining that the psalmist has presented, there's a few more lessons we can learn from biblical poetry. The idea that complaints are far from unworthy or sinful when they are in the context of a healthy relationship. In fact, I would propose that those two almost complete each other. 
if we imagine this psalm only consisted of the first two verses, the complaints would just be self-centered and pointless. Yet, I think if we imagine this psalm without the first two verses, that this request and consider and answer me would almost seem disingenuous, emotionless. But together, the complaints presented in a respectful relationship yield the full experience of trust this psalm conveys. But before we get to that trust, I wanted to bring to mind in light of this sermons you may recall on names for God and the Lord's Prayer as well. See, calling our God by His various names is not just for His sake, but for ours. It helps us come before the Lord in right relationship. Like the psalmist, here, the psalmist is here petitioning, O Lord, my God. He's not allowing his frustrations to make God seem far off and distant. But rather, he keeps him close. And Jesus takes this further in the Lord's Prayer and saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We make these, may take these terms, my God, and our Father for granted sometimes, but I would propose that is probably because we don't use them enough. We use them as much as David and Jesus did, perhaps. And that is exactly the benefit of the Psalms, being able to recite and sing them and have them come to mind in difficult times. So I imagine if we take time to dwell and offer respect to God in our songs and prayers, uh, that we will find they have a tremendous impact on us. And also, I can't help but imagine that this can be an incredible witness for those around us as well. Most people in our country do not think to ascribe to Christianity anymore. But we shouldn't hold that against them. We should witness to them. With every part of our lives, prayers of complaint included. We can show them that we're not crying out for an unknown God, a distant God in our sickness or our family struggles, but one with whom we have the closest relationship, a respectful relationship. The psalmist continues, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Questions and complaints, as another point to God, are also far from being sins when we turn them into petitions. Asking God for help may not seem like taking action in the world's eyes or in the eyes of a self-righteous Christian, but they are the utmost actions in the Psalms. In combination with approaching God respectfully by name, Petition is an integral part of these songs and should be of our prayers to prevent us from just being self-centered, from falling into those habits or stories like Abraham and the Israelites. Besides repeating how long, uh, the how long that gives this psalm a rhythmic pattern, uh, there's also a play on words here that I wanted to bring up. Again, it says, consider and answer me, which can also be translated, look and answer me. 
And that actually rhymes with the next line, light up my eyes. And I bring that up not just to try to point out the Hebrew, the beauty in Hebrew poetry that we don't always get in English here, but because I wonder if David did this uh, very purposefully, was purposefully inspired. See, he's passionately asking God why he forgot him, why he has hid his face from him. Now he's petitioning to God to look upon him, to shine upon him, to provide light to his eyes. Now it's hard to tell in this short psalm whether this is truly a life or death situation. Unlike some other psalms, uh, scholars have not been able to pair this with a specific event in David's life. But I think the ambiguity uh, may make it all the easier to, for us to apply. Perhaps it is real danger and death. Perhaps it is exhaustion and unending work. Perhaps it is spiritual dryness and depression when the psalmist says, the sleep of death. This psalm can be widely used, much like the Lord's Prayer I've referenced a couple of times this morning. And this is what I definitely pray that we do not take for granted. I pray that we do not downplay the severity of some situations or ignore compounding difficulties in our lives. It is well worth getting over our internal arrogance or social stigma to verbalize and pray what is at stake before the Lord. Psalm continues, Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Another point here is that complaints, or rather petitions at this point, are also far from sins when our aim is for God to receive all the glory. Not our enemies, not evil. This reminds me of things uh, we've considered here uh, in months and years past in studying Habakkuk or Moses. Habakkuk debating with God in prayer, pleading that he would not destroy the Israelites uh, with a more wicked nation. And likewise, Moses uh, pleading with God not to destroy the Israelites, again, based on his namesake, so that the Egyptians would have no reason to claim that their gods are better. And this may be a bit of a stretch because, unlike Habakkuk and Moses, David does not say, lest your enemies say, I have prevailed over God. Yet this is where we should empathize with whatever David is going through at the time he wrote this. As you may recall, David dealt with many moments of injustice after he was anointed by Samuel. His enemies prevailing equated with God's plan failing. And on this side of the cross, I think we can see how important that was for the line of David to live and for Jesus to be born as God's promise. Now before we go any further to the next verse, I also couldn't help but think, what if this psalm ended at verse 4? Most psalms do not end without a resolve, uh, but 
some come close. And psalm 88 actually does. It's the only psalm uh, that I, I saw that is a lament from start to finish. Likewise, what if our prayers and our sufferings go unanswered? What if our how long uh, lasts a lifetime, or perhaps ends a life? I bring this up because I heard recently a very profound answer uh, to that question, to those questions, far beyond any cold-hearted response that says it's just God's will. The consolation is Jesus not only is that Jesus not only gave us the Lord's prayer, but He also gave us a short prayer in Gethsemane, saying, "Father." Let this cup pass from me. But the cup was not spared. He was crucified. And the point is that Jesus led a life that was so fully human, he knows what it is like to even experience unanswered prayers. Experience a how long moment, even to the depths of hell. This psalm, of course, uh, does not end that way, though. It does continue, but in, in a unique manner. Perhaps somewhere in between being answered and unanswered. It reads, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. I mentioned that trust is where this psalm is eventually headed, but it's still surprising when we get to it after the how-longs and the petition. Charles Spurgeon emphatically writes about this. <clears throat> what a change here. And he quotes another author saying, One would think that those psalms had been written by two different men. But the joy is all the greater because of the previous sorrow. So I think it is possible that David is reflecting back on a moment of salvation as if he wrote this entire psalm after suffering. Uh, the encouragement to trust and give thanks in hindsight uh, would be great in and of itself. But like Spurgeon and many others, I like to think that David uh, faithfully believes God will eventually answer and his questions and petition. That makes this song all the sweeter for those who can have such faith is to dream of giving thanks in the future. That is, after all, trust in the purest form, a synonym for faith. Trust is born in doubt. It is born in first wondering, how long? The how long seemed like forever, according to David, at the beginning, but God's steadfast love is even longer. I actually wondered if there was another play on words here in Hebrew. The way it more literally reads, often reads in Hebrew is, But I, in your loving kindness, have trusted. Is David trusting in God's steadfast love, or is God's steadfast love enabling him to trust? In this light, faith is far more like a response to God than an act on our own. 
God's love has existed long before us and long before any of our pain. Therefore, faith is not something that we conjure up, but it is a manner of responding when the Holy Spirit reveals God's existence to us in a very personal way. And if that were not enough, David continues, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. It's almost like faith in advance to trust. But faith in advance is not just a state of mind. It's a hope expressed. Much like complaints being made whole by petition or doubt being made whole in faith, uh, so I think we find faith is made whole in expression here. David is not just trusting that God will answer his how longs, but he's rejoicing in advance. And he's not the only one to have done this. Isaiah 8.17 also reads, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. We might be hard-pressed to have this kind of faith in advance and trust to rejoice in advance. But as David and Isaiah looked back to God's goodness and forward to his promises in a very real and emotional manner, so we can look back at Christ's goodness and forward to his second coming in a very real and present manner as well. And I want to emphasize the very real manner because I think it can be disingenuous to end a sermon hastily looking past all the real problems in our lives towards the second coming. As one writer put it, if we cannot find God in the ordinary things, we will likely not be able to find him in the spiritual things. Finding God in the ordinary things is very much like crying out and petitioning to God so that we might have faith in God. And again, these are not weak and selfish things to do. And continuing to compare this psalm to prayer, I read a very convicting word from John Calvin, who spoke about the contradiction of prayer and God's sovereignty. That is, the contradiction of complaining, petitioning, and praising God when everything is already foreordained from his perspective. He says, Though cast down and overcome by true humility, we should none, be nonetheless encouraged to pray with a sure hope that our prayer should be answered. And he gave a number of reasons, but the one that struck me was that God often waits to give blessing until we have prayed for it. Why? Good things that we do not ask for will usually be interpreted by our hearts as the fruit of our own wisdom and diligence. These are deadly to the soul because they thicken the illusion of self-sufficiency. See, this will not only be helpful in our everyday complaints and petitions, but it may also be helpful for others. Again, many people do not believe in the God of the Bible, but they believe in something else, whether that be, that be another God, the universe, or themselves, under the perception that there is no God. 
And that is why they rely on, and that is what they rely on for meaning to frustrations and ways of dealing with them. Trust and rejoicing in advance for salvation from real danger, as well as eternal danger, will likely do more to evangelize to these types of people than anything else we could think of on our own. And as from the challenging word from John Calvin, they would likely do more to evangelize to ourselves and recognizing what God gives. Therefore, last verse, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As I was preparing for this sermon, I quite frankly was running out of time to consider the last line of David's song, but also in just wondering how he can trust in advance, rejoice in advance, and also sing in advance. I can only imagine the apostles, missionaries, or slaves over all the years singing hymns in their dreadful condition like this. It's truly remarkable to behold, and is perhaps uh, best done in just singing this as our last hymn. So please bow your heads with me in prayer, and then we will sing one more time. Dear Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for who you are and how you have chosen to reveal yourself. And especially thank you for how you have revealed yourself in the Psalms. Lord, these are challenging words to consider, uh, as, as many of your revelations can be. But we pray, as always, uh, that you would lead and guide us in understanding, that you would draw us into relationship. Just in considering and reflecting on this psalm, as well as this entire day of worship, we just thank you for what you have done and pray that you would continue uh, that work in our hearts. Uh, give us the, the strength and courage uh, to lift up our concerns to you, knowing that you can bear uh, any and every how long that we may offer. Um, please uh, help us to, to think through those take our emotion and turn them into petitions, uh, to think deeply as to, to what we need in your will, where we should go, how we should respond, uh, but as we pray just in confession and in prayer together, uh, we also pray these things uh, just in your will, accepting what you uh, may have to offer us this week, accepting the ways that you will answer our our prayers and our petitions. Please pray that the remainder of this this worship would just be uh, completely in prayer to you, and we could go through this week uh, just in consistent uh, prayer in your presence. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.